0: listening to The Sport Market, here to rack the bulls and bears of sport business, your host, Tom mayonette
1: It's often said that lawyers in the business of sport will be paid, and there's a lot of time where lawyers are getting more on a per capita basis of the share of whatever is being transacted than anybody else in the deal. But this past week, not just lawyers were getting paid, but accountants were getting paid so is the way that the Shohei Ohtani, the groundbreaking Shohei Ohtani contract is structured to basically minimize tax on both sides of the transaction, minimize the immediate tax being paid by Shohei Ohtani, the, uh, the player, the athlete, the $700 million man, at least in terms of Macro level, a lot of people will suggest it's uh, really 460 million, uh, uh, 500 million uh, in, in in present value dollars. But the bottom line is, the accountants are also trying to allow Otani and the Dodgers some wiggle room in terms of the luxury tax, and that's why the heavy deferrals. Uh, I don't, I can't recall any time where deferred salary. And accounting structure and practices dominated the aftermath of such a big contractual decision as the one that made Shohei Otani decide that he was going to be a Los Angeles Dodger. We're going to get into that on our podium Funded by Alpine Credits. In just a couple of moments, uh, we'll also be joined by Rick Horo, the sport professor, the visiting sport business expert from, from Harvard University. Hill Taco Tani, as will Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun and the Post Media Network. We'll start off with our podium
0: now with the top three sports business stories of the week. Here's the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits. Own your home and need a loan? Homeowners get approved. Apply now at alpinecredits.ca. For background on the stories, go to thesportmarket.biz.
1: In the bronze medal position, our number three sport business story of the week, NFL television numbers continue to shine. NFL continues to be the television juggernaut. It's six Sundays now that Sunday Night Football and NBC South of the Border has drawn an average American audience of more than 25 million. 25 million has become the new sort of standard for a good Sunday night football showdown. Philadelphia-Dallas from last week was 26.3 million average national audience. It peaked at 30 million. Peacock NBC streaming service featured the most streams on a Sunday In NFL history or at least as long as they've been involved of course piggybacking on the overall NBC deal those are terrific television numbers indeed in the silver medal position a number two sport business story of the week there is a proliferation there is a real run on stadium uh, renovation on stadium construction on stadium upgrades. upgrades Just check out this week alone. The Baltimore Ravens announced $430 million of state funding would be provided to allow upgrade their stadium. OKC Thunder will receive $900 million of government funding to build a new arena in downtown Oklahoma City. And that should keep the Thunder in town until the year 2050. $50 million is the small amount of money that the ownership group of the Thunder has provided. But this is largely a government finance arena. And, of course, I believe those should go the way of the dodo bird. Chicago bears trying to leverage seven cities to get what they want, which, of course, is a better deal in downtown Chicago. But our gold medal story, as we mentioned off the top, Shohei Ohtani, We'll get into that next with Rick Horro, the sport professor, as we rate and debate the Bulls and Bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: You're listening to The Sport Market. Once again, here's your host, Tom Mayonette.
1: Rob Verres owns and operates Burbank Cars in Los Angeles. Uh, He's one of the real leaders of the industry in Southern California. And like a lot of Los Angeles and Cats fans, He was all over Otani watch the last 10 days to two weeks. And he's one of those who thought, what the heck's going on here? This guy might not be signing with the Dodgers. And of course, we all know what happened. It was probably his number one seed from the beginning. But Shohei Otani becomes a game changer, not only because of his contract, but because of his impact on sports fans and especially collectors. Rob Veras talked about all the things that Sho- Shohei Otani brings to the table in terms of impact, both short and long-term.
2: Yeah, it's just like the Yankees. That extra, there's just thing to it. The fact that he's going to a franchise that has been to the playoffs, I believe the last 10 out of the uh, last 11 years, um, is tremendous. We haven't seen him in the playoffs, which is almost impossible to think about. But we saw what happened in the World Baseball Classic and just how that shot the values of his cards up and just was a Cinderella story for him. But to get into the playoffs, to make a playoff run, um, to do the types of things that that Dodger roster is just was built to win before he got there um, to see Shohei winning uh, and, and pitching meaningful games and hitting in meaningful situations. It's just going to amplify the value of his cards. And, um, we can't wait. We, we just, it's, just, it's the beauty of the sports card business. It's one of those things where we don't pay for this kind of marketing. It kind of comes to us. So um, that's really,
1: really um, exciting. Is it too strong a statement to make that Shohei Otani as a Los Angeles Dodger will positively impact the overall health of the hobby, the overall industry, not just Dodgers merchandising and, and, and Shohei Otani Dodgers cards?
2: Yeah, I think this is going to take the casual baseball fan to the next level because you're going to want to get online. What did Otani do last night? It's I think it's going to be with him, unlike any other baseball player we've ever seen. Is going to be what did Otani do last night? Um, did he pitch? Did he hit? We know he's not pitching next year, um, but it's it, it it doesn't seem to matter. Um, I just. Again, it's gonna, there's a lot of casual baseball fans out there, even in L.A., that all of a sudden – because it's, it's a Laker town, you know. Um, but I think it's going to take a lot of casuals and get them to the ballpark. If they can afford it, it's going to be crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I just can't overstate just how exciting this move is, not just for the Dodgers, um, not just for baseball, but I think the sports world in general. Um, this is seismic, and um, you know we're just we're just in early stages here. We can't wait for the season to start.
1: Rick Horro, the sport professor, was on the show earlier this weekend talking about the National Football League and, of course, the tough week that his Dolphins had.
3: Yeah, well, listen, it's uh, we're, I'm trying to get that out of my head heading into the weekend, but uh, it, it's they're still in the lead of the division. Uh, the big deal is the Jets. Uh, they're exposed as a lesser team without Tyreek Hill playing. Uh, they shouldn't have given up that, uh, that uh, a two-point conversion uh, after they cut it from 14 then to what it was, six. And, you know, if and then and all of those issues. But at the end of the day, uh, it was one of the worst collapses in history. Everybody's owned up to it. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunately the beauty and the curse of the NFL whether you're on the winning side or the losing side, it's, it's unless you're the Chargers, it's never over until it's over.
1: Mike McDaniels, you know, very early in his career, but obviously some real bona fides, uh, some real credentials. Uh, what's his reputation locally among Dolphins Nation? Uh, is he viewed the same way as one of the real, you know, cerebral, great, young, up-and-coming coaches in the league? Is he Does he carry that locally as well?
3: We hold the the uh, coaches to the highest standard. Having, you know, Don Shula won most winning most of his games here, in two Super Bowls and perfection. Uh, he is the the next uh, stable coach we've had. We we've gone through Wanstead and Jimmy Johnson and some of the other guys that are you know big names, but didn't really work here. Nick Saban, and so this is the opportunity for him to come in and embrace. And uh, they had a terrible December last year. They lost five in a row uh, at eight and three. Uh, And now uh, they're in a situation where, you know, they've got to win uh, against the Jets or, or everybody's starting to expect the worst. Then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, but they have incredible weapons. And uh, again, the beauty of the league is, you know, by Tuesday or Wednesday, you're on to the next week.
1: We're talking to Rick Horro, the sport professor. You can follow him on X, uh, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, at Rick Horro, R-I-C-K-H-O-R-R-O-W, regularly contributor to the sport market on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Rick, let's stay with the National Football League and the bronze medal story on our podium funded by Alpine Credits. Uh, The NFL TV ratings continue to be strong for the sixth time. Uh, NBC is north of 25 million viewers. Philadelphia against Dallas draws an average U.S. national audience of 26.3 million. Uh, it peaked at 30 million uh, average, uh, uh, 30 million uh, audience late in the, in the, in the game. Uh, this is one of the best TV years that the NFL has had in, in, in more than a decade, and in some in indicators, more than two decades. What do you think are the primary drivers of that level of fan engagement this season?
4: Well, you could say luck.
3: I don't think it is. I, I think the schedule has been very kind to the NFL. Uh, I think the Thursday night Amazon games, people are in a rush to give them the, the, the best matchups possible as opposed to not acceptable ones for Thursday nights. And, of course, the flex schedule now comes into play for the last month, so it's even going to be better. And, you know, there's more, there's more parity as well, when you thought of all the teams were six and six, five and seven, seven and five, up until last week, uh, there are incredible uh, high number of those teams. And then, as usual, the playoffs uh, won't come down. Will will come down in the last week, and the NFL's scheduling magic, being the last two weeks, you have those intra-division rivalries, which makes the uh, the games even sweeter.
1: What's your take on the first ever Monday Night Football flex, where the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the Philadelphia Eagles uh, took over from where the uh, New England Patriots were were supposed to be? Uh, it's the first time ever. There's been a Monday Night Football flex. Uh, your take?
3: Yeah, well, that that's exactly kind of what I'm talking about too. The the, the 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 flex on on Monday night really really matters as well because now you have people who are changing their plans at the last minute. And, and uh, you know, Roger Goodell and, and his staff are always concerned about the fans, but uh, it's just a one-day change for people. They're still going to play at home just a day later. And uh, when you think about it, it's just so much more of an attractive game that you understand the flex for Mondays. And, uh, you know, it's going to be even more now because my suspicion is the flex will be successful And then the more successful it is, the easier it's going to be for the next one and the next one.
1: That is the sport professor, Rick Horo, visiting sport business expert at Harvard University. We also had Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun on earlier this weekend. Of course, for the Post Media Network, he is the Toronto Blue Jays writer. And it's been quite the season and quite the off season already for him to be on that beat. He believes the pressure now is on the Jays that if they can't do it by free agency, they get very active in the trade market.
5: I think I think the need is, is still very strong to, to add an impact bat into the lineup. And I think that's why um, Cody Bellinger, um, the, the free agent from the Chicago Cubs last year and prior to that with the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think he would probably be the, the prime target at this point. He's a guy that could... Uh, could slot into the top of the lineup, probably uh, in the top four of manager John Schneider's batting order could slot into left field. So now that now the outfield would be complete and, and immediately add some power to that lineup. I mean, obviously last year's priority was to improve the team defensively this year. It's, it's clearly to to improve the team offensively. So I think, I think that's where that's the direction that they would be headed in terms of, of focus. But as I alluded to earlier, um, At what cost are they going to be willing to uh, to to pay a lot of money and a lot of term to get to get a guy like cody bellinger who's getting on a little bit in years and in recent years has has shown a little bit of inconsistency he was very good with the cubs last season but two seasons ago he he struggled at the plate some so i think it'll be a a a delicate uh, balance there in terms of what, what they see as value And are they willing to shell out close to $200 in over six or seven years to to get a player like that? My thought is that, uh, and Ross Atkins uh, alluded to this uh, at at the winter meetings in Nashville last week, my thought is that they will aggressively explore the the trade market, um, because I think that they probably see better opportunities. Now, the the shelves aren't nearly as stocked as they used to be in in terms of prospect uh, currency, and... And it may to, to get an impact player, they may have to give up an impact player or two. So it will be very interesting to me, anyway, Tom, to see how creative and how ambitious uh, uh, Ross Atkins gets in, in in terms of approaching the trade market.
1: Rob, in a lot of ways, you know, the Jays were o for two. I mean, o for one with Shohei Otani in free agency, and another o for one with Juan Soto on the trade market. Uh, which of the two stings most when you look at practical? Outcomes over this next decade.
5: Of course, they're both related too, aren't they, Tom? Because they definitely lost out on Soto because the Otani thing dragged on for too long and that allowed the, the New York Yankees to to swoop in and and uh, and grab Soto. Uh, personally, I would think that the bigger L there though would be be Otani because um, the, the way the the, the way the, the Soto deal was going to always be would be that you'd only be getting him for one year he becomes a free agent next year and you know what if you're Juan Soto one of the one of the most dynamic hitters in the game you're not going to be overly anxious to sign a long-term deal now you're going to wait to, to until free agency especially when we see the way the market is exploding uh, for for those those top shelf players so I think the biggest L uh, of those two would be would be Otani but um, losing out on both of them was a big blow because those were two the two the two clear focuses, as you said, Tom, of the of the Jays' ambitions in the offseason.
1: We've got the Toronto Suns Blue Jays beat reporter Rob Longley from the Post Media Network with us for another 90 seconds, two minutes here on the sport market. Rob, I, I wanted to ask you this. You know, it's in, we, we mentioned this last week briefly, but given the disarray and, quite frankly, the sort of, uh, awkward position the Jays front office was left in after being eliminated uh, by the Minnesota Twins. Um, you know, Ross Atkins didn't have his best days as a Blue Jays executive mm-hmm. during that period, but, you know, the the the, the inside talk is that, uh, you know, he certainly was going very aggressive representing Mark Shapiro and the rest of the Rogers organization. Uh, is it your sense that the Blue Jays being moral victors in, in terms of at least being one of the finalist teams here, uh, along with some big heritage brands like the San Francisco Giants and the Chicago Cubbies. Uh, has that changed his position in the marketplace when it comes to other free agents, uh, you know, deciding as to where they want to play in their next contracts?
5: Yeah, I think that I think that his reputation has 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 strengthened over time. Uh, because of as, as we, we talked about earlier, um, he has shopped at that at that high end table in the past, and 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 has proven that he has Rogers resources to to spend. And there was a time not that long ago, four or five years ago, where, where Scott Boris wouldn't even have a conversation with 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 Ross Atkins barely. And now he he markets some of his his high end clients uh, aggressively to the Blue Jays because he sees them as a as a not only as a competitive team uh, on the field, but as a competitive team in in terms of spending for, for, for high end players. So I think that reputation is, is relatively solid. Um, the area of reputation that, that, that will hurt Ross Atkins, of course, is um, building up, building up his, uh, his trust with the fan base. Um, because as you talked about, Tom, it was, certainly wasn't a, a good ending to, to the season, uh, both in Minnesota and and in the fallout back in Toronto with his disastrous uh, uh, press conference uh, where he threw manager John Schneider under the bus, and you know, rightly or wrongly, losing out on on, on o- um, it also hurts his reputation. Even though that that was not his doing, because some people believe that there was that the Blue Jays never really had a serious chance anyway, no matter what what they bid that the Dodgers were going to outbid them, out, outbid them. So I think that Ross Atkins right now is in is almost in a no win situation for the remainder of, of this offseason and the only way that he can he can sort of win back support from the fan base is if the team starts winning I mean there's a lot of pressure on this Blue Jays team to be better next year and whether that that comes via uh, external Im- improvement this offseason or internal improvement improvement from players like Vlad Guerrero Jr. and, and uh, Alejandro Kirk who could certainly be better at the plate than they were last season he's going to need that to happen early in the season to sort of salvage some of his reputation with the fan base.
1: That's the Toronto sun and the post media network. Next up, we're joined by John Festinger of Chandler Fogden Lyman. We'll revisit the podium funded by Alpine credits. We'll also check out the good, the bad and the ugly in the business of sport and our penny stocks, some of the smallest sport business storylines that could make it to the big board in the coming weeks and months. You're listening to us rate and debate the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: The Sport Market on Sportsnet 650 presents The Rolfson Report, the comedy of sport with Torbett Rawson. Baseball free agency, more like no Tawny
6: watch. Am I right, people? Imagine being that guy at Toronto's Pearson Airport holding the chauffeur sign up, waiting for Otani. He's still there, kicked out to the curb. He looks like Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining. A good first run for the NBA's in-season tournament. they got to fix the courts, though. The finals in Vegas, T-Mobile Arena, it looks like bad 90s ground. Actually, it most resembled the cover of Red Hot Chili Peppers' album Californication. No wonder LA won. The Buffalo Bills with a huge, much-needed win in Kansas City. I guess Sean McDermott's weird motivational speeches are working. Coming up next, Pearl Harbor with Josh Allen of the Japanese Air Force. Surprised to see Patrick Mahomes going full complainer on officiating.
0: In most Chiefs games, the refs acted and like promised a Taylor Swift autograph afterwards. You've been listening to The Rolfson Report, the comedy of sport with Torben Rolfson, a special feature of the sport market. Listen again on the podcast and stay tuned Tuesdays at noon at Facebook.com/slash the sport market. You're listening to The Sport Market on Sportsnet 650.
1: We're going to check in with John Festinger of Chandler Fogden Lyman on the good, the bad, and the ugly this week. But before we do so, we're also going to get his take on our top three podium sport business stories of the week on the podium, funded by Alpine Credits. And, of course, no bigger story than Shohei Otani becoming a Los Angeles Dodger in the silver medal position. Stadium. And state financing a lit, little bit hog wild south of the border. And it's such an interesting dichotomy because, in general, you think of the United States as being small government, not this kind of funding compared to Canada. But it seems that there's a lot of state politicians and municipal politicians south of the border who want to keep on plowing money into pleasure palaces for professional sports teams. And in the bronze medal position, NFL ratings, especially on Sunday night football, looking real good. And a number of indicators this is the best season of NFL football in more than a decade. John, let's start with the NFL. Uh, for six Sunday nights this year, NBC has drawn an average U.S. audience of more than 25 million Americans. This week, Philadelphia, Dallas, it was a romp by the Cowboys, but despite the romp, 26.3 million was the average national audience. It also, thanks to Peacock, was the most streamed NFL game ever on a Sunday. Uh, It just seems that the jargonaut's continuing.
4: Well, you know, momentum is an interesting thing. You talk about the rich getting richer and all sorts of endeavors in society, but Nowhere is that more true than when it comes to the NFL and sports. Uh, They just capitalize effectively on their own momentum and just get bigger and bigger through it. Social media has helped them enormously um, because it's just generated their message into all the corners that they couldn't get to before just merely with broadcasting. So it it really is a juggernaut.
1: And it's a juggernaut that's based on appointment television. I mean, everything about the so structured uh, to basically condition fans to know when they're going to get their football. Of course, most of the games held on any given Sunday, but then you've got the Sunday night football primetime, the Monday night football primetime, the Thursday night football primetime. Of course, now towards the end of the season, uh, you're getting some flex Monday night football and you're getting some Saturday uh, games as well. Uh, It is interesting. You look at the NFL... And what they did with Monday Night Football, going with the two games, you know, directly conflicting against one another, that's the first time they've ever done that. And I would question, I could understand if it was more of a a typical doubleheader, but programming two games in big markets like that, side by side, uh, that was out of character for me in terms of the NFL. And and again, how consistently structured they are.
4: You know, I'm going to beg to differ. and and I'm going to suggest that uh, this wasn't particularly well executed, but I want you to go back to the pattern of the NFL. You remember when Monday night football was a
6: huge break.
4: It was something brand new, unheard of. Could that possibly work? Well, the NFL is now getting to the point where they're going to be dominating every night of the week almost, And, and I think that's their ultimate goal. I think their ultimate goal is to keep expanding so as to never lose their domination. So this might not have worked this Monday night, but I think they'll keep trying and they'll keep trying to have more parallel games and not just on Sundays.
1: And 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 again, what all what I'll say is that I Completely support beginning of the year a doubleheader to sort of mark the occasion, and then at the end of the year, or at least in the stretch run, a doubleheader. I'm still not convinced that going head to head is their best bet. It certainly isn't in terms of aggregate television, uh, aggregate television numbers. But you know, back to your point, that's the more important point. We're now Sunday night, Monday night, and Thursday night how many years before we're into Tuesday night football? I'm not sure how many more nights, but they're definitely going to get to Tuesday and uh, you might see them push for Wednesday. They're not going to touch Friday and Saturday on a regular basis because of antitrust exemption, but we could have football five nights a week in primetime.
4: And I am utterly convinced that that's the NFL's goal. They're not going to stop because the strategy has been working This expansion, this slow, careful, and again, this is why, you know, uh, last Monday night wasn't ideal, because it wasn't careful enough. But this slow, careful expansion has been going on for 60 years now, or getting on to 60 years
1: We're talking to John Festinger of Chandler, Fogden, Lyman here on the sport market where we're rating and debating the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet radio network. Shifting from the bronze medal story to our silver medal story, I said it off the top, John. This is a week in which, uh, in basketball, the OKC Thunder received a commitment for $900 million of state financing to build a new stadium downtown uh, that will keep the OKC Thunder in Oklahoma City until 2050. Uh, Just $50 million of the total provided by the ownership of the Thunder. And this is a arena that was built just in 2002 to lure what was the Seattle Supersonics to Oklahoma City. But that's not the only one. Chicago Bears, of course, they might go to Soldier Field, get that renovated in downtown Chicago right by Lake Michigan, or they might leverage seven cities who are bidding to provide, you know, one-upmanship in terms of state and and, and local funding. And then you've got the Baltimore Ravens who've got almost exclusive state funding for $430 million of upgrades. Isn't it interesting how in so many ways the U.S. is supposed to be about less public sector financing, less government um, uh, ownership and investment, but they're actually building stadiums with, with more money on a per capita basis than, than we invest here in Canada.
4: Well, I, there's a couple of things going on. Certainly it's looking like a trend or like an old trend that's come back. Um, and, and, you know, politics have, has become entertainment in so many ways. And so why should we be completely surprised? that there is the politics of entertainment. Sports is totally entertaining. We, uh, we, we as citizens are probably more interested in being entertained than in anything else. Uh, so it becomes uh, necessary for politicians uh, to, uh, to feed us our entertainment. It becomes good politics. And I think that's what's happened again. And and you're right, the the irony of fiscal irresponsibility, especially in states uh, whose politics generally are, you know, n- not friendly to deficits, is very very unusual. But it just it just proves where sports is and the connection between sports and citizens, and of course politicians know what citizens are interested in.
1: And, you know, my feeling, uh, you know, obviously government investment has its place in in, especially in youth sport and in those kinds of initiatives that give us, you know, a healthier next generation of Canadians. Having said that the best model is a fully privately financed model and that in exchange that gives the ownership group uh, of the of the stadium and of the franchises who play there control over all of the revenue streams and maybe part of that model there's a little bit on the side of land tax grants the public private partnership i get that but publicly fully publicly financed stadiums should go the way of the dodo bird
4: Well, I I completely agree with you, but that doesn't explain what we're seeing now. And I'm not sure this trend is going to go away.
1: We're talking to John Festinger of Chandler Fogden Lyman. Uh, Gold goes to Shohei Otani. And it's basically royal blue. <laughs> that is the new gold this week. John he makes a commitment to sign with the Heritage brand that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, a lot of reports are that the Toronto Blue Jays were seriously on his mind and got his attention. Having said that, the Dodgers were two they, they they could do things that the Jays couldn't do. Their Heritage brand with strong history, very very strong history. We're not talking you know, 30, 40 years, we're talking, you know, going into the uh, 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 late 1800s and into the 1900s, of course, beginning as the Brooklyn Dodgers, their track record over the last 10 years, second to none in terms of winning divisional titles, and also, from a personal point of view, half an hour up the highway from Newport Beach, where he's currently resident and where he was playing uh, for for the Los Angeles Angels in Anaheim. Uh, It's not surprising to me that he went with the Dodgers, but I do think it is interesting how hard Rogers and the Jays front office pushed to be part of this discussion.
4: Well, you know, it is not surprising to me at all that he went to the Dodgers. And I think I was really unequivocal um, and, and very certain in predicting that last week. Um, I I do think there's a, you know, it would not surprise me. I know there's a lot of noise that he was really considering Toronto. I'd be quite surprised if that was really true. I think the the Toronto media is just so shocked that, you know, they were so sure there were so many predictions um, that, that they were going to the the Blue Jays. And, And I think there's just, you know, embarrassment, and so there's a certain amount of, you know, it was really, really close. Uh, He'll never talk about it, so we'll never know for sure, but I color me extremely skeptical as to whether it was really close. The Dodgers always had the advantage uh, financially and in terms of brand, and those two go together, go together
1: no question in my mind that the Dodgers were the number one seeds from the beginning. Absolutely agree with you. Where you and I differ is how real the Jays were as a, as a off the grid, uh, a possibility uh, playing in front of a country of national television deals and sponsorship opportunities in collaboration with the Jays and major league baseball. Having said that it is what it is. And, it's, and, and, and the Heritage brand was just one example of something that the Jays could not compete with. And the Jays obviously making much more of a statement in terms of being prepared to pay out high salaries. There's a lot of pressure on them now to try to either make a, a splash with any of the remaining free agents or be very active in the trade market, because look at what New York Yankees are doing in that American League East. It's not going to get easier anytime soon. Uh, We'll also uh, make the note of where this goes in terms of setting the stage for more tax deferrals uh, and and salary deferrals like we see here. Uh, It's off the charts. He's being paid $700 in total, but the way the contract is structured, of course, and everybody has seen this throughout the course of the week, $2 million a year for the 10 years of his playing contract, and then he gets 10 years at $68 million uh, after the contract term is over, it's real risk on behalf of Shohei Otani. I believe he can cover that risk and 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 make an acceptable risk given all of his sponsorship revenue that he's going to make as a Los Angeles Dodger. But uh, you 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 look at the fact that inflation is what it is. Who knows what the value of dollars will be in twenty thirty four and 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 twenty forty three?
4: You know what I, I I I get the theoretical risk, but. He, he's forcing himself uh, to work really hard during his career, uh, get a lot of sponsorship dollars, and basically he's got the world's greatest pension set up. So, um, you know, we'll see if ultimately um, he, he could have made more by getting the money more up front and, and investing it. But in going the way he did, he's also created enormous flexibility for the Dodgers uh, to put together championship-winning teams while actively playing. And, of course, that's going to reflect back onto his sponsorship revenue.
1: He's John Festinger. I'm Tom Mayanek. We're both happy to have you along for the ride here on the Sport Market, on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We're going to continue to rate and debate the bulls and bears of sport business. We're going to pivot from the podium funded by Alpine Credits to the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we'll leave you with some penny stocks, some of the smaller sport business storylines that could make it to the big board in the coming weeks and months. You're listening to The Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Now more of The Sport Market, rating and debating the bulls and bears of sports business.
1: The week that was gold on the podium funded by Alpine Credits goes to Shohei Ohtani and of course his agency CAA and his agent Nez Belello, they obviously knew what they were doing. Very creative and very interesting for both parties that they're putting forward the contract as it's been structured. Stadium financing south of the border, a lot of money being invested in stadiums, both construction projects and renovations throughout the United States, and the NFL television juggernaut continues. Six Sunday Night Football games have been aired to audiences of north of 25 million, average national audience of Americans, 26.3 million of last week's Philadelphia-Dallas showdown. And that was also a breakthrough on the streaming side of things. It's the most streamed NFL football game on a Sunday, and that was to the benefit of Peacock. We'll shift gears with John Festinger of of Chandler Fogden Lyman on the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we'll uh, tackle this very quickly, John. Uh, When it comes to the good, NFL will be in Sao Paulo. That is the news announced this week for an NFL game. Uh, They'll play at the uh, Corinthians Arena in Sao Paulo. Uh, They hosted six 2014 FIFA World Cup uh, matches. Brazil, in terms of population, is the third largest NFL market behind only the United States and Mexico. On a per capita basis, uh, Canada is right there with the U.S. in terms of NFL uh, consumption. But you've got even more than that, John. There's talk that the NFL Board of Governors and the Commissioner's Office are looking at a scenario where every team in the NFL would play one international game Every four years, they're taking their global marketing to the next level.
4: You know, this this is classic incrementalism of the NFL. You know, they don't make mistakes because they do it slowly, but they execute, and they they want nothing but world domination and domination of the media landscape. They're they're playing, pardon you know, pardon the pun. They're playing for nothing less. Um, this is this is. You know, this is good practice. This is best practice, in fact. And I really like staying, you know, in, in the Americas, going to South America, expanding that way, keeping time zones um, consistent. Um, this is going to work.
1: In the category of bad NHL officiating, and how many times have we said it in terms of not only how inconsistent the officiating is, but how inconsistent the athlete safety, the player safety department is under George Poirot's?
4: I cannot wait for AI enabled skating robots to get rid of the flesh and blood referees that we have now because they'll do a much, much better job. <laughs>
1: And in the category of Ugly, uh, a great piece by Mark Spector interviewing Edmonton Euler, Zach Hyman, of course, who grew up in Toronto. Uh, his uh, his school and I believe synagogue had bomb threats this week. Zach Hyman opened up on that front. Uh, the, the, the Ugly, of course, is that kind of hate, is that kind of discrimination, is that kind of anti-Semitism. But good on Zach Hyman for... Talking about it in terms of how it's affecting him as a human being.
4: Well, people have to talk about it. Have to talk about the ugly. Have to talk about the wrong. Have to talk about the inhumane. Um, That—that's how we learn. That's how we improve. That's how we shut down things that shouldn't be done, shouldn't be said, um, and 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 that are evil. Um, so good for, hi- for for Zach speaking out.
1: In our penny stocks, some of the smaller sport business storylines that could make it to the big board in the coming weeks and months, you've got Strategic Sports Group that has been set up with investors such as Fenway Sports, Steve Cohen, owner of the New York Mets, Arthur Blank, owner of the Atlanta Falcons and of the NFL and Atlanta uh, FC, Atlanta United FC of Major League Soccer, Tom Ricketts of the Cubbies, Wes uh, Grousbeck, Mark Atanasio, and more. It's going to be very interesting as a penny stock, John, where this goes in terms of PGA Tour funding and what kind of deal if any winds up getting agreed to with the um, uh, uh, live golf series, because that was supposed to, have, you know, been consummated in advance of a December thirty-first deadline, uh, we're um, uh, you know just over a week out from that, and they're nowhere near what looks like a deal.
4: No, they they they, they aren't close. But you know, the list of investors that you mentioned. That is one of the more impressive investors so uh, that that I've heard, and and these are these are the, the owners and investors you want. These aren't like the 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 ones who are narcissistic and are you know always attracting attention to themselves. This is a really really solid group, so I certainly would have faith.
1: He's John Festinger of Chandler, Fogden, Lyman. Thanks so much for all of that, John. And thanks to all of you for listening uh, to these national hours of the sport market. We'll close out the hour with a lighter side take on the business of sport. The
0: sport market on Sportsnet 650 presents The Robson Report, the comedy of sport. With-
6: Corbin Way to Monday night, New York, for QB Tommy DeVito, game-winning drive against the Packers. In the late in the fourth quarter of that game, despite years of us being told it was impossible, the ground caused a fumble. Might have been Jimmy Hoffa rolling over. New York, New York, DeVito and Zach Wilson were the NFC and AFC players of the week. What would have been the odds on that a month ago? Somewhere between off the books and infinity. Embarrassing Sunday night football game fashion-wise, only the Eagles' helmet salvaged any dignity on the evening. The Cowboys at home should be ashamed of themselves. White slacks after November 1st or a big no-no? Unless you, you know, live in Miami or San Diego. The Chargers should move back to San Diego, but they wouldn't be allowed in. They deployed Border Patrol to the North. The OC is now a DMZ. And Sao Paulo, Brazil, will host an NFL regular season game next season. Cardinals and Panthers, Monokinis, are already flying off the shelves. You've been listening
0: to The Rolfson Report, the comedy of sport with Torben Rolfson, a special feature of the sport market. Listen again on the podcast and stay tuned Tuesdays at noon at Facebook.com/slash the sport market.